I spent much of my life avoiding anything aviation related deliberately. And that was because I developed a severe phobia of planes and flying. So that lasted for me over 20 years. So it's pretty safe to say that I never was interested in pursuing a career in aviation at all. Welcome aboard the High Fly Media podcast, dedicated to sharing the stories and experiences of the amazing people who make aviation happen. From pilots like me, to engineers, air traffic controllers and others, I'll explore their personal journeys, the challenges they've faced and the triumphs they've achieved. My name is Damien and I'll be your host. Whether you're a seasoned aviation enthusiast or new to the field, I invite you to join me as we take off on this journey of discovery. Get ready to be inspired as we take flight into the world of aviation with our extraordinary guest, Erin Douglas. As an RAO's flight instructor and finalist for the prestigious Australian Aviation Awards, Erin's journey is a testament to resilience, courage, and the transformative power of overcoming fear. Join us as we explore her remarkable path and the doors that have opened through unwavering determination and a passion for sharing her knowledge with others. Welcome, Erin. Thank you for having me. It's so great that you joined me. I know you're a very, very busy lady, so I'm very grateful that you made a, a hole in your calendar to, to have a chat with myself and the listeners. It's my pleasure. I can't wait to have a chat about what brought me here. Yeah, and, and I guess, so I came across your name as I was, I'm a member of various aviation Facebook groups and other social media groups in Australia, as you can imagine, because I have a keen interest in it and a history in it. And, and obviously your post came up and it was the picture of you standing behind an aeroplane, I don't know what, it could have been a Technum or it could have been something of the like. And uh, and there you were as a finalist in two of the different Australian Aviation Awards. So what I want to find out, that's obviously what caught my interest. And I thought, okay, this is someone I have to interview. Um, obviously, you're very dedicated to what you do and driven. And then, then when I found out, well, from what I read, that you kind of kicked it all off because you were afraid of flying. I was like, my goodness, okay, this is a story that needs to be told to more people than just me. So unpack that for us. Now, what shaped your interest in aviation? What it, what inspired you to even pursue a career in aviation? And is the rumour true that you had a fear of flying? Well, I will start by saying that the rumour is true. I did have a fear of flying. And so my interest in aviation was shaped later on in life, much later on in life. I didn't have a childhood interest. Um, in fact, I did a lot of other stuff before I even kind of decided to pursue this. Uh, I spent much of my life avoiding anything aviation related deliberately. Wow. Um, and that was because I developed a severe phobia of planes and flying. So that lasted for me over 20 years. Wow. Yeah, so it's pretty safe to say that I never was interested in pursuing a career in aviation at all. And if you'd asked me four years ago if I would be in this position, I I would have laughed and I probably would have cried because you'd mentioned a plane. Like right. It was, it, was a, it was a full-on phobia. I couldn't step foot on a plane. So so this is quite incredible. Wow, and I thought my daughter was bad. So I've got a – what's she now? <laughs> She's 15 and we flew to Melbourne probably well, – I was before COVID, so maybe four years ago. So when she was maybe, yeah, 11, 10 or 11, and it took a bit of convincing to get her on the plane. We've talked about going overseas and that's just a hard no. So, but she wasn't as, yeah, sounds so, like as severe as yourself. Yeah, and one thing comes to mind, it's probably good to kind of let everyone know the extent of a phobia. So it's, it's different than a fear. So with our fears, we can kind of 
mentally overcome that enough. We might do right. it, we might not like it, but we'll do it anyway, sure. um, even though we're a little bit scared. But with a phobia, um, you would go to real extremes to avoid doing that thing. Uh, and so when I wanted to go overseas with my husband, I made him get on a cruise ship <laughs> from <laughs> Perth to Singapore. And then right. we traveled by land, Singapore and Malaysia. And then we got back to Singapore when I was supposed to give a flight a go. So just a short hop, Singapore to Darwin. Right. And I just flat out said, no, I can't do it. And so we spent another six or so thousand dollars and we had to cruise all the way back to Sydney. It could have been worse. I'm sure the cruise was nice. It was amazing. My husband wasn't pleased, but it was amazing. (laughs) Yeah, the bank balance wasn't too pleased, but wow. Okay. It wasn't. So thanks for unpacking that. Thanks for yeah explaining the difference between a fear and a phobia. Obviously, my daughter has a fear of flying, whereas that's very different to a phobia. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... You've gone from that extreme to now teaching others to fly. Mm-hmm. What happened? What was the uh, what was the transformative moment or moments? The kind of catalyst. Well, yeah. it started as um, something very cliche. We had taken a trip over to New Zealand, and it was New Year's. Um, we were coming back the next day, and I wrote my new. Was it a cruise? It, <laughs> it started as a cruise. Right. Yes. Right. It was a Christmas cruise, actually. And so we ended up staying on land for New Year's and I wrote a New Year's list. So I don't write a resolution list, but I do write a list of things I'd like to achieve that following year. Sure. Um, And so on that list, one of those things was take a step towards kind of getting over my phobia of flying. But I didn't really know. I didn't really have any action steps. I just had a few words let's do this. Um, I didn't know how I was going to do it. And then by chance, when we got back to Queensland, uh, my husband said, I'd really like to learn to fly. And I thought he was crazy. I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not even going to go with you. Like, this is insane. But I did. Yeah. I, I went along to, to an open day that uh, was being held at the flight school. And I thought, well, maybe I'll book in for just a trial flight. Just maybe I can keep doing trial flights to to try to, I don't know, get some exposure of some sort. And it started from there. I did a trial flight and then I got on the ground and we had some lunch after and I said, look, I think I might want to to do this like a little bit more. I don't know in what capacity, but I just knew that something was kind of triggered in that flight that maybe – had me believing that I could maybe get over my fear. That's incredible. So you've gone from not a fear but a phobia. You would not get on a plane, a, yeah. a commercial airliner, which is probably one of the safest aircraft you could get on, to fly from Darwin. Exactly. Oh, sorry, you said Singapore to Darwin. And then you've gone from that level of phobia to getting in, I'm assuming, something like a 172 or a 150. Uh, it was a sling too, a so sling tiny. Two, so yeah. even yeah, two seater, low wing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that took some courage. So really, then it came down to that commitment you'd made yourself at around the new year, and you just thought, no, I'm going to give this a crack. Yeah, I just I feel like I had to. I was at the very end of my rope with it. I didn't know what else to do. I tried medication. I'd been through uh, like counseling to see if I could make a change in that way, to see if I could kind of unpack it myself. 
off, but no one really knew where it came from. So it was hard to fix uh, uh, a problem which didn't really have a source. Yeah, so right. yeah, I tried everything. Uh, the only thing that I hadn't tried at that point was going into one of those larger fear of flying courses just because the upfront cost was expensive. So yeah, I just, I tried this and little by little, I chipped away at it and it's been an interesting journey. <laughs> Well, good on you. So, you know, even thinking about myself and probably a lot of our listeners, the the amount of things we look at in life that are not phobias that they might just we might just be a little bit concerned mm-hmm. about. We just think, oh no, I can't do that. I, I can't do that. You know, I'm, it's not going to work. But you've overcome something very substantial, of which you didn't know the reason why you felt that way. It's just the way you were wired, and uh, and you pushed through it. That is really commendable. That's amazing. So well done. Oh, thank you. And now I'm turning it, trying to turn it into somewhat of a career and try to help other people to maybe get over their fears and phobias as well. Would I be even close to the mark if I assume that probably happened out of Archerfield? Is that where you flew from at the time or was it a different airfield? It was at Caloundra actually. Oh, okay. So very close lucky. I think that Caloundra's probably, yeah, close to you. It's one of my favourite airfields. It's absolutely Gorgeous, and I mean, you take off, and you've got what the Sunshine Coast and Bradley yeah. Island, and what yeah. a training area! I know, right? Well, I didn't learn to fly here; I learned to fly in Toowoomba. So my training area was the oh. farmland south of Toowoomba, <laughs> not quite as pretty as the yep. Sunshine Coast. <laughs> not quite as scenic. No, not quite as scenic. The chief flying instructor at the time, Graham Garrity, though, he used to say, if you could fly in Toowoomba, you could fly anywhere in Australia because of the you know, the winds coming over. I would one hundred percent agree. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. but I, I did take my sister and her boyfriend for a flight one year uh, that they came up from Melbourne and we hired a 172 out of Caloundra and just went for a, a quick blat through around the Glasshouse Mountains and then we flew, you know, 500 feet up through Pummiston Passage and and up to as far yeah. as we could without punching into airspace just to, you know, stay out of yeah. a, a CTA and back to Calandra and it is so so pretty so yeah no you I don't think you could have done it in many other places that would be prettier certainly in Australia but maybe even the world is just a pretty spot I agree and I think um for me it really helped because I mean I had a great instructor but mm. if there was moments where I'd be getting caught up in my fear mm. all you had to do was look down and say hey there's a turtle hey yeah. there's a whale and it yeah. was distraction That's so cool. there's not many other places you could get that and so then you, you go from taking those trial introductory flights, that would have been, I think, instrumental in pushing through those feelings that you were having. It was. So it wasn't on the same day, but it was very shortly after. Right. And I just I just figured if I kept booking them, then I was holding myself accountable. Every time I left, I had to have another booking and that would keep me going. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. Uh, the last chap that I interviewed, which if you haven't, listen to it, those out there, go and listen to it. If you listen to Erin, you can go and listen to Doug Wolf. He was all about, well, what I took out of it, it was all about basically setting goals and achieving them. So, mm-hmm. and, and bite-sized goals that become part of a larger picture. And I think accountability is a huge part of that and holding yourself accountable. So yeah, you've taken a few trial introductory flights. At some point you went, okay, put me on the books. I want to learn how to do this and and fly by myself. And, and so your husband was doing this at the same time as well? Yeah, so we essentially had our RPCs at exactly the same time. So we were not very far apart. So we took the whole uh, initial 
certificate journey together, which was really, really great That's for that so support. Cool. But even just, um, yeah, bouncing ideas or bouncing theory off each other would have been great. Learning the theory together would have been great. Exactly. Yep. Well, there you go. And you're still together. And we're still together. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez, I don't. I don't know that aviation helps many other marriages. I think maybe it puts stresses it's into marriages, but I'm glad it's working for you. It can definitely be difficult. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, very good. So you're learning together, and then at some point, did is he an instructor as well, or is he taking a different path? Uh, no, he went down the private pilot route and just enjoys flying for fun. Yeah, right. And you decided to go down the RAOs instructor path. Yeah, I did. I was looking at various ways of getting into the industry and I thought of instructing quite early on in my journey just because um, we had really good instructors and it was kind of inspiring for me to see. And I thought, well, I think I actually want to give back, but the journey through to commercial in grade three was going to take a lot longer. Mm. And so I thought, what can I do first while I'm working my way there? Oh, well, I can do Aria's instructing and it's been absolutely brilliant. Oh, that's good to hear. As Greg in episode four said, you know, learning to fly the whiteboard's one of the hardest things he's had to do in aviation. I love the way that he's put that because it is definitely the hardest part. Well, tell us about that. So you've, you've obviously done what you need to do in learning to competently control an aircraft safely. And then you've started to learn the theory of teaching aviation. What, how did that work for Erin? Well, I discovered very quickly that I wasn't necessarily a natural teacher. Um, I, I really went in quite naively as I think probably a lot of people would you think, oh, this is going to be great. It's yeah. going to be all flying. I know how to fly. Yeah. And then as soon as you start, you realize that not only do you not know how to fly, but you don't know how to teach. And so you've got two elements there that you're needing to learn and quite quickly because the rating doesn't last for very long. And then you're thrown out into your workplace and you still feel very, very green, which is fine. We work through it. But yeah, I think for me that standing up in front of people and teaching someone something that I felt like I hardly knew was the hardest mm. part. You, you think you know how to fly, you come out with your licenses and then you have to teach it and it all just starts to fall apart. <laughs> I could imagine. I remember the day I got my private pilot's license. My neighbour, he was a Citation jet pilot and he just said to me, I went up next door and I went, hey, Grant, I got my licence, I got my PPL and I was headed to CPL, that was the plan. And he said, congratulations, you've now got another legal way to kill yourself. And I was yes. just like, whoa, what are you saying? And he just said, well, you're legal <laughs> to fly, but it doesn't, doesn't mean you're safe. doesn't mean you're doing the right things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, totally understand yes. that. And then to be at that position, you know, if I was to go and get an instructor rating right after I got my CPL, you know, you'd be sub 500 hours, probably sub 350 hours. Yes. And now you're actually teaching someone mm -hmm. else the principles of flight how to do a climbing and descending mm -hmm. turn. That would be, yeah, that would be a challenge, 100%. It's terrifying. But you did it. Yeah, I did it. And it's still challenging, but I think it's a different challenge now. I'm Every time I go up, I learn something new. And I think sometimes that's kind of shocking for a student to hear that their instructor is still learning, but we're all still learning, no matter how many thousands of hours we might have, there's always something to learn. Yes. I think that's great. You look at, you know, on Facebook every now and then you'll see the the captain sitting in the pilot and command seat on a, a flight deck and he'll be holding up, you know, today I retired the date and 46,000 hours, but I guarantee 
He learns yeah. something new in one of his last flights. You know, it's it's just the nature of life, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it only becomes dangerous when there's someone out there that feels like there is nothing left to learn. That's right. That's right. You know, in, in talking with Paul Strike about the upset prevention recovery training, that was really eye-opening because he was explaining things and I kind of touched on it in in the actual podcast, but I would talk to him in depth about it later on where he was talking about things in that podcast and he was explaining scenarios where things could go sideways. And when he was explaining mm-hmm. those, I had a chill down my spine with one of them because I was thinking mm-hmm. I've been there. And so I kind of, yep. in that moment, I realized how close I was at low level, turning on to final, how close I was to potentially mm-hmm. going into a spin, you know, 600 feet above the ground. Well, that's, I would have been a hole in a building west of Toowoomba, you know, west of the airstrip there. Yeah. So until you know, you don't know. Yeah. So you've got your instructor rating. Is this up at Calandra still? Uh, no, it's at Redcliffe. Okay. So you did that down at Redcliffe. That's where I did my caravan endorsement. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, with a van. I think it's currently flying out of Cairns the last time I stalked it. So that's the only time I've flown at Redcliffe was doing that endorsement, which I've got a scary story about that day, but that's I'll save that for another time. Oh, gosh. Tell me, uh, how's the instructing, how's the flying been out of Redcliffe? I mean, you commented about Caloundra, but I know Redcliffe's kind of pretty, but Redcliffe's pretty close to Brisbane International as well. Yeah, it is. So our students have a couple of things, different things to deal with, and that's being under an airspace step. So they learn about uh, being very close to that controlled airspace very quickly and how important it is to be accurate with that. And they also learn very quickly about a crosswind because we almost have a permanent crosswind yeah, at wow. Redcliffe. And so even in their initial training, they're doing crosswind circuits before they're doing circuits with a, a proper headwind. Oh, so wow. it can be challenging and it can take students a bit longer than normal because we don't have the cross runway. Right. But I feel like like Toowoomba, if you can fly out of Redcliffe, you can almost fly anywhere because your skill level is high. Yeah, you're dancing on the pedals, learning how to fly an airplane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's fantastic. And how often are you, on average, how often are you instructing, you know, each week? Are you doing it every day or is it a normal five-day kind of working week? Uh, so my schedule is a little bit interesting. I work a few different jobs, so I'm generally here, there and everywhere and instructing kind of has its ebbs and flows. So one Mm. week I might not be doing a lot. The next I might be doing 10 or 15 hours. It really varies. Yeah, right. Um, And it's just a balance between all those three jobs. So apart from your phobia of flying, were there, what other challenges did you have to overcome in this journey? Uh, You mentioned, well, learning to teach was a challenge. Was there anything else you found a challenge? Yeah. So I think my biggest challenge has always been in my mind. So I would battle with my own mind more than I'll ever against any other external factor. Yeah. I think it was just that that constant voice that's in my head telling me that I don't belong. It's very, very loud and right. it's the source of a lot of my issues with anxiety and my struggle with imposter syndrome, which kind of reared its head during my training. Yeah. So I guess that that posed a huge challenge for me from day one and it always has because I'm a perfectionist and right. you can harness that for good. But if you mix perfectionism with a fear of failure, it kind of means that you fail every flight because yeah, it's never going to be a perfect flight. Perfect. So for me, that was a really big challenge. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and a lot of that would be out of your control too. A lot of it out of my control. And I think that's the most frustrating thing. And I think uh, 
during my instructor rating, especially since that was being filmed as well for the documentary, I was very aware that my mistakes were being filmed and that that could possibly be in front of some very judgmental eyes when it was finished. And so I had a lot of mental challenges and blocks during that, which, um, which is difficult. You're trying to do one of the hardest ratings and it's being filmed for all to see. Okay. So unpack that for us. Well, I don't know about this film. Excuse my ignorance. Okay. So it's kind of the reason why I started my instructor rating as early as I did. I was, I came to the school uh, at Redcliffe and I said, look, I really want to get my instructor rating, but uh, little did I know that behind the scenes at the time, um, a few people there were in talks to get a documentary called Touch the Sky up and running. Okay. And uh, so their plan was, their plan, it started with one woman and that woman wasn't me. But then when I got there, I think it was just, it was just kind of like luck and timing for me. And they decided to expand it to take into account more female journeys. And so I got pretty lucky. I would consider that to be pretty lucky. And they offered it to me and said, Hey, you can get your instructor rating, but here's the catch. You'll also be filmed. And I just said, okay, (laughs) do it. And (laughs) that was, that was naive, but I thought, well, you know what? I I'm getting something that I've dreamed of doing. Um, Oh, well, I just have to be filmed. <laughs> That's an amazing experience. And, and in reality, I mean, apart from setting up a GoPro every time you go up and flying, who else has their, their learning yep. experience catalogued? I know. Um, it was equal parts exciting and scary because yeah. for me, I, I already had some sort of online following and with that came a lot of bullying. So I feared right. having my journey and my mistakes out there in front of those people. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. So it just mm. yeah, added to the complexity of your journey, but you know, I'm a believer in when you're faced with things, you can determine the outcome. Uh, and you've even already yes. mentioned, you know, the voice in your head, the imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. that's something that almost anyone who actually does anything with their lives would face at some point. Exactly. I don't think you can have one without the other. That's right. And and so then it is, it is up to us to push through that. So this documentary, what did you say it was called again? Yeah, it's called Touch the Sky. Touch the Sky. Where can listeners find that if they want to see your learning journey? Uh, people can find that on YouTube. It's a little YouTube mini series and they can search Touch the Sky and it'll come up with I think it's all it's between six to eight episodes. Yeah, cool. All right. I'll definitely have to watch that. Sure. And so if we, we look back at your journey so far, you've overcome a phobia of flying. Uh, you've then decided you want to teach people how to fly, so you've had to learn to teach. That was documented along the way, which kind of adds another layer of challenge to the cake. Mm-hmm. You've been instructing for a little while now and then you get nominated to not one but two Australian Aviation Awards, the Recreational Pilot of the Year Award and the Female Rising Star Award. How did that come about or were you completely blindsided? No, uh, I wasn't blindsided. So for the Aviation Awards, um, you get nominate, someone has to nominate you and then you have to write a submission. So they ask you a series of questions and you have a word count and you need to do like a full proper submission. Yeah. Wow. Um, which I really enjoyed doing. Oh, that's good. That's good. It's kind of like doing a uni Mm. assignment from the sounds of it. It is. It was actually. (laughs) 
And you find out about that sometime in the yeah. future? So we find out at the awards night, which is being held at the Star Casino in Sydney on the 31st of August. So Lovely. it should be a really good night. Well, we'll watch the socials because no doubt the announcement will, will come out in the socials. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> you're a finalist, so you're a winner anyway. Yeah, I, I said that the second it came out uh, and I realised that I was a finalist, I, I just felt like a winner. I felt like, wow, like I've worked so hard just to even be recognized in this capacity is is pretty awesome yeah. personally yeah oh that's amazing i think it's incredible what you've done and, and what you've mm-hmm. achieved so we've talked about what you've achieved so far where to from here what are your mm-hmm. longer term goals in aviation i i feel like my goals and desires kind of constantly change as i learn more mm-hmm. which i think is good i've kept a really open mind about what my future might look like um mm-hmm. I think that by doing this, I've possibly captured more opportunities than I would have if I'd kind of had the blinders on and had as kind of a single-minded goal from the start. I think it's nice to have goals, but also to see where everything takes you. And that's kind of what I've been doing. I, I didn't even expect to be where I am now. So I think I'm already at the point where this is what I dreamed of. So sure. what's next? What's next? I, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. I think um, a goal that I work on every day is just to be the best that I can be in my job. And that's really, that's what I, that's what I do. I set just day-to-day goals, but long-term, my original plan was I always saw myself flying for the police or the RFDS. So I'd like to do kind of a service job like ah, that. Kindred spirits. That was my long-term goal. <laughs> Landing a caravan or a PC-12 or a, a B-200 on a gravel road in the middle of nowhere just at night yes. just seems thrilling. I dream of that. I like what you said there and it, it resonates with something that Doug Wolf said, the caravan pilot, the FedEx guy in the last episode, and that was that he – because I was very one-track minded, like that RFD, yes, that was it. That was where I was going. That was what I was going to do. And I'd yeah. mapped out how, and that's why I was flying the caravan. I was getting PT6 time. And in talking to Doug, you know, he, all these years later, I was 30, 31 at the time. And it was pretty naive of me as a 31-year-old that had been in management, that had had a bit of life <laughs> experience to have a very focused mind maybe it wasn't because you know you you learn about you set goals and you break them down and you get there and that's what I'd done and I was on the path the way Doug talked though which is similar to what you just said there was that he he used the word opportunistic so yes you've Mm -hmm. got your long-term goal but you never shut a door before you look in the door and you might go yeah that door's not for me and shut it but Mm -hmm. you're always open to looking through the door and I think that is an incredible mindset to have that will only, in my opinion, bring success because, you know, here I am 15 years on knowing that you'll learn whatever you're going to learn by the doors you go through anyway. And it's all going to add to your life experience. And it may end up at the RFDS or flying for the police or it may not. The good thing about it is if you fly for the police or you fly for the RFDS, you can fly a Cessna caravan in both. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. See, one track <laughs> mind, right? That's me. So with what you've got on the horizon or all planned or where you're going, do you foresee any major challenges that you're going to have to overcome? Uh, I think my challenge is pretty well what everyone else has a challenge with. And um, I think money's going to be the biggest barrier, Right. I think, um, as we sort of make our way through things. 
in aviation, it gets a whole lot more expensive. Oh, so yeah. I don't know yet how I'm going to address it, but I've made it this far, I figure, and I know that I'll find a way. Apart from money, which is a pretty big one, I don't really see any other challenges at the moment other than just the normal kind of self-belief related challenges. Yeah, yeah. I think I tend to hold a, a pretty optimistic view of the future and um, I tackle things with kind of a, a childlike positivity. I just like to jump in and kind of go headfirst into things. So I, I don't really sit there considering future challenges I may or may not have to tackle. I Fantastic. think I prefer to go in with a, a bit of a more of a naive mindset. It just kind of, I don't know, it works for me. I just dig my heels in. Oh, that's how I'll tackle anything that comes up. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. <laughs> There's a guy, his name's Eckhart Tolle. Love that guy. Yeah, the power yeah. of now. And so, yeah, he's, yeah. he's saying, why waste energy thinking about something that hasn't happened yet? Focus on the now, get the mm -hmm. job done. Thank you very much for sharing that story. And you're only partway through your journey and I'm guessing by the amount of time you've been doing it, you're only just scratching through the surface with what you're going to experience yet in aviation. The fact that you've been nominated and now become a finalist for not one but two Australian Aviation Awards at this pretty early part of your, your aviation journey, I think that tells the story of what kind of person you are and the calibre of person that you are. Yeah, I hope that it does come across like that it's been a little bit challenging to to kind of get out who I really am because I've had this this kind of big Instagram advertisement of my life but it's nice to come and do things like this and people can say oh that's that's just a little bit more of who she really yeah. is instead of what's kind of put out online in a shiny yeah. sense yeah and no doubt behind every good woman there's a good man no doubt your husband has been a great support. He has been a very good, very good support. He'll love to hear this. <laughs> yes, no doubt. And like I said, obviously it helps that he's a pilot as well. He knows what you're going through and, and he can certainly support you, which is fantastic. And I think I, I always say that aviation is a team sport. So you might see one person succeeding, but there's a whole team of people that have helped make that happen. Oh, 100%. Can you tell us about a, a memorable experience you've had flying, maybe a particular airframe, maybe it was with someone and what made it special to you? I have had a lot, I feel, of memorable experiences. Maybe some Just because that's so the good. way my, my <laughs> journey has gone. Um, it's it's kind of challenging to choose one, but something that does stand out in particular to me was my first really long nav flight mm -hmm. from Redcliffe to Darwin. Whoa, um, so <laughs> hang that on a was, sec, yeah. Redcliffe to Darwin. <laughs> so I had done my NAV um, endorsement by oh, that right. point, but it was my first really long flight. and right. it, So it was about 16 hours yeah. done over two days. Yeah. But I think that trip for me really opened my eyes to the sorts of adventures that you can have with yes. your certificate or your license. Yes. Um, and it just allowed me to see the most beautiful sights, things that I – never dreamed that I would be able to fly over like Kakadu National Park. It was just something that I know I'll never forget. And I, I hope to do that again someday, but just in something a little bit faster. I hope next time. <laughs> what were you in at the time? <laughs> a Cessna 150. Oh, yeah, okay. Yep, yep. So you kind of, what, you'd be pushing 90, <laughs> 95 knots. Look, that's a stretch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was slow and it was low. Yeah, right. What was, so what were the legs? What, just map that out for the listeners. What did the journey look like? 
Oh, so roughly. Now I have to remember all of those places. So we didn't go into right into the center. That was an option to go to Uluru and then straight up. We yeah. kind of went out to Gainda, if people know yeah. where that is, and then um, kind of split the middle in Queensland and ended up in Normanton for the night right wow. up the top and yeah. then went straight across Kakadu up kind of Jabiru way, that way to Darwin or to MKT. That would have been amazing. So you would have flown past a golf. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that was, it was an experience because for a really long stretch of that second day, there would have been absolutely nowhere to land. It's crop country. We don't have a second engine. We don't have a chute. So yeah. Yeah. So you're, it, was, um, it was pretty frightening. That would have been. When you're flying over and there's just um, cliffs and crocs and I thought, geez, I wouldn't like to have an engine failure. It's kind of <laughs> nerve wracking. You might have been seeing turtles in the water, but you were definitely seeing crocs in the water there. Absolutely. My next question was, what's one of your most fear-filled flight experiences? And, well, that sounds like it was probably one of them. Yeah, I think uh, since I started with a phobia, it's fair to say I've had um, quite a few fear-filled flight experiences. Uh, probably, I think for me, none more than my first ever flight. Ah, that was pretty terrifying. Yep. And then my first solo flight because I never expected to reach solo stage. Um, wow. I thought I'd stop before that. So yeah, okay. I think from being completely unable to step in a plane to then flying on myself with absolutely no safety net of an instructor was the most terrifying thing I've ever done. I don't have fond memories of my yeah. first solo flight. Like you hear people say, it was the best day of my life. Yeah. And I'm like, it was the worst day of mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. That's, that's a really interesting insight. Quick question that popped into my head when you were talking about the instructor handed over controls to you at some point tried and mostly failed yeah, okay. i didn't want to get on the controls at all so i was offered it and i think i i did the the one finger touch but <laughs> not much more than that before i said please take them yeah okay that's cool baby steps but yeah wow so that's that's a, a different insight to hear that so thanks for sharing that so my next question money's no barrier if you had <laughs> an expense-free opportunity to be endorsed on any airframe, which would it be and why? So I have given this a little bit of thought and I think um, I'm going to go with, it'll probably be some sort of seaplane, oh, to be honest. Like a Grumman Goose um, or something. Or, yeah, look, I'm just not, um, I don't really know anything about seaplanes apart from the fact that they just look incredibly fun. So I don't even know what I would want to fly, but a seaplane or just for something a bit strange, an air tractor, because I kind of have this strange obsession with the air tractor. And it seems like those two things, seaplanes and ag, are kind of like a little club. And I've never really <laughs> known how I ever get to flying those things. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. also something, something really uh, strange, maybe, I'm not sure if we consider this an airframe, but I'd really love to learn to fly a hot air balloon. Okay. Well, it's an airframe. You have to be licensed for it, I guess, at the end of the day. That's well, cool. Well, there you go. Hot air I'm just mesmerized by balloons. Yeah. It's a guy by the name of Grant McCarran, who is a podcaster with Plane Crazy Down Under. And he's a mad keen balloon guy. Yep. Yeah. I think it's so awesome. And I've Googled and Googled, and I still don't know how to fly a balloon. I don't know how I get there. Oh, it does my <laughs> I just head think in. it's so cool. Though. Totally does my head in. You're floating through, <laughs> you're floating through something you can't see, but then. 
he talks about, oh, yeah, you know, we took off here and we, we flew over there and then we hit this layer and then they're landing back in the same field. And I'm like, how do you land back in the same field when you're in air you're not in control of? But they're amazing. That's some wizardry right there. I know. I agree. <laughs> have you heard that Mallard guy? Yes, I yes. have from Darwin. Yes, yeah. yes. Super cool. Beautiful, beautiful footage he takes. Just a gorgeous plane. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I just can't imagine having something so cool where you can literally go flying land on a lake and just yeah. jump off. Like yes. it's just what a cool life. What's his, his podcast <laughs> is called On The Step if anyone's listening and wants to have a, an interesting uh, listen to what he talks about. Finally, if, if you were to give advice, and if anyone can give advice, it's probably yourself with what you've been through. If you were to give advice to someone starting out in aviation, uh, what resources would you, or support systems, would you recommend they seek out? Oh, I'm full of advice, to be honest. <laughs> I would say be prepared to feel very overwhelmed with the amount of information presented to you if you're just starting out. Don't rush to put yourself in an awful amount of debt because we're now, especially this year, seeing mm. the hardship that can cause with um, indexation and cost of living pressures. So take your time, ask questions, ask so many questions um, to anyone that you can reach out to online, offline, so that you have the best possible chance of picking the right path for you that works with your life and your goals and your budget. Yes. I think probably another thing is if it's too good to be true, it often is. So mm. be careful with promises of work and, mm. and kind of large, large promises because there really aren't any shortcuts and a lot of people get caught with that. But really these days we have such a huge amount of resources to help new pilots get started both online and in person. So head out on foot, take a day and go and visit flight schools. And you really know when you found the right people, you'll, you'll really vibe with a place and yes. And support systems as well. Uh, we also have a lot of communities to get involved with. That just it doesn't take much—a quick Google search or a search on Facebook. Um, we'll bring up a whole bunch, and there's something for everyone. Whether you're interested in plane spotting or local airfield groups or bush flying, like whatever it is, there's a community there for you. And all in all, it's a really friendly and welcoming industry. So. That would be my advice. And I think that's a really good point you brought up there. And we link that back to imposter syndrome. You know, apart from the alphas in the room, most people, if they were to reach <laughs> out to these groups, are going to feel inferior, potentially. You know, they're going to feel like, oh, I don't belong here. I'm not a pilot. I say go and get involved because <laughs> you talk to any pilot, what does any pilot like to talk about? Flying. You know, they'll spill out information <laughs> exactly. and they can't help themselves they will just do it because it's their passion <laughs> yes is there anything else you wanted to to tell the world erin look i think that that's covered a lot of my journey and i hope that it's given people a bit of an insight as to who i am behind the scenes because mm -hmm. yeah like i said a lot of people's first impression and introduction to me is online and that might be a really nice little advertisement but it's still business i want people to see and hear who I really am behind the scenes and why I've done what I've done and, and why I do what I do. So oh, this has been really good. We appreciate you sharing that. Where can people find you online you. that you're happy for them to go and look? I really just have one platform. It's on Instagram and my handle is flying with Erin in the one word. That's where you'll find me online. As we conclude this captivating episode, 
I and the listeners will extend our heartfelt appreciation to Erin for sharing her incredible journey from conquering her phobia of flying to becoming a recognised leader in the aviation industry. Erin's story is a shining example of the heights we can reach when we embrace courage and tenacity. Her dedication to passing on her knowledge and empowering others to achieve their dreams is truly admirable. Let Erin's story inspire you to embark on your own journey of transformation. Remember, the sky is not the limit when you have the courage to soar. Erin, we'll be sure to keep our eyes on the socials, eagerly awaiting the news about the Australian Aviation Awards. Congratulations on your achievements to date and all the best as you continue to shine into the future. And thank you so much for taking time out of your day to share your story with us. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Join us next time for more fascinating discussions. Subscribe now on your favourite podcast platform. And if you'd like to help out, feel free to leave a review. That'll help spread the word. Alternatively, you can listen to the podcast on the High Fly Media YouTube channel. Music for the podcast is titled Dance With Me by Asha Lee, available at upbeat.io. The High Fly Media podcast, uncovering the people and passion behind aviation, one story at a time.